Warning. The following is the officially sanctioned podcast about the show about four lifelong friends who compete to embarrass each other in public. You know the one. The official Impractical Jokers podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the official Impractical Jokers podcast. Oh, yeah. We're coming from a very special place. Usually we're not just we don't have free access to this place. No, it's True TV. We made it. That's right. We're at the headquarters of True TV in the Time Warner building. Time Warner Center. The TWC. Center. Not even, it's not even a building. It's a center. Uptown on Columbus Circle. Right. It's Central the, Park living. <laughs> like what NBC is, like with 30 Rock, yeah. is the, what Time Warner Center is to True TV. And we, we started from the bottom. Now we're here. That's started right. downtown, North South Productions, and we finally made it up, Casey, <laughs> all the way to the middle of Manhattan. That's right. And we have a, a guest, uh, another celebrity guest, in my opinion, Simi Kostanowicz, who's the network executive producer of Impractical Jokers. Thanks for joining us. That's my pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. We always have these little interviews and talks, but now to have like a long form version is so fun because I think we could really dive into some of the, the deep cuts of Impractical Jokers. It's the beauty of a podcast. We don't have to talk in like 10 second sound bites. It's That's great. all our time. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> that was awesome, Sim. Thank you. Yeah, Where is the food around here? Thanks for having me. Uh, no, this is great. And so for people who don't know what the network executive producer is for a television show, what does that mean? So, you know, as the EP for the network, I'm overseeing the show, but in a different way uh, than the executive producers are for the production company. So Pete mm-hmm. McPartland, who's the showrunner, um, is overseeing the day-to-day. He's on all the shoots. He's really in the weeds and like really on the front lines. Um, I I work for the network. I don't work for the production company that produces the show. So I am sort of looking at it more from 30,000 feet. Um, basically, the, the production company uh, with the guys, with the Jokers and with the writing team and, and the, all the producers produce the show um, and then sort of send it to me and I'm sort of the last line of defense before it goes on the air. And mm. my... Um, my role is a little bit more to look at it from the network perspective. And what, what I mean by that is, um, you know, I know, or I should know, um, what our viewers, what, you know, what, what the makeup of our viewers, you know, whether it's the demographics or just the male, female, that oh. sort of thing. I'm thinking about a little bit more of like, does this make sense? Um, you know, for our air, for the our stats, network, almost yeah. exactly. And I, and wow. I, because I, I have other shows that I that I oversee as well. It sort of allows me to have a little more of a macro view of the show rather than the micro view that uh, the producers have on the day to day. In terms of the network, yes. Like in terms of 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 the voice of the network, not only the voice of the show, but you're keep, you know keeping an eye on both those things. Yeah, it's a little more big picture. It's a little more, hmm. you know. Again, like I said, thirty thousand feet. Part of it is I, I think the fact that I have a little bit of distance can help the show a little bit because sometimes when you're in the weeds, when you're seeing everything, you can you know you can really get behind something because you want it to work so badly. But then right. I I can sort of come in a little bit with a little bit of distance and see it for the first time with fresh eyes with my team over here and hopefully help the show sort of, you know, take the extra step it needs to get on the air. Right. I like to think that, you know, the Impractical Jokers is like a table, right? With all the, the four guys as the four legs, you know, and then a production company is like the top. And then you, you sort of sand it at the end. It's like, it's all done. And then you're like, well, let's just sand the edges here a little bit. That's that is right. my analogy. <laughs> I think that's a really good analogy. That's, that's, that, that's often what it feels like. If I'm doing my job right, I'm not. I'm certainly not making the show. I might be making the show slightly better. And it's great when it comes in the door. Um, but, you know, it might be just taking it to that extra step and maybe finding the little things to, yeah. to, to sand off just to, to make it 
just that much better. Hopefully. But you are involved in the earlier process. I'm going to use the same analogy. You might be like, let's do mahogany <laughs> instead of oak. Yes. You know, you'd be you like, I love, yeah, I, I love this table. The table analogy is working much better than I expected. <laughs> it's because we're at a table, Casey. <laughs> yeah. I only see something and say it. Exactly. I'm just like, uh, yeah. phone, uh, headphones. You're table. like a coffee. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. It's that, yes, that's, it's, very much, um, right. I mean, the, what I was just describing about sort of the sanding is sort of in the post-production phase when we get a cut of an episode, but you know, when it's edited together, but in the early stages, right. It's, it's the sort of, um, it's talking with the producers, with the writing team, sometime with the four guys, them, uh, themselves about, you know, the ideas that everyone wants to do. And, you know, some of my concerns might be, oh, we've done a lot of sim- things similar to this. This is too much like this punishment that we did in season three. Um, you know, is this too inside? I One thing I always try to look at is I try to look at the show from the perspective of somebody who's never seen it before. So, new viewer. Yeah, new viewer. Because there are a lot of ideas that that will come to me that, you know, I'll look at and say, yeah, the diehard fans will really get this. They'll think this is really funny. But I always, I always try to imagine somebody who has heard about the show from their friends and family and said, I'm going to tune in for the first time. And if they, if they tune in, are they going to get the joke? Or are they going to feel, well, this is some sort of inside joke I'm not getting. So that's always a big focus of mine. It should always boil down to what the show is. Like, you know, yeah. what, what emphasizes what, you know, these four guys as friends doing this, you know, you never, you're, you're making sure that nobody's jumping the shark. That's I'm I'm constantly on jump the shark watch, yeah. you know, and and to the show's credit, it really I mean it's it's has not gotten close, thank thankfully so far, um, but yeah, it's just uh, it's just always making sure that that it 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 holds true to the idea that these guys are the the butts of their own jokes, mm. they're not going out and being obnoxious to people in public. And, you know, it does it never feels mean. Those are sort of the, the, some of the, the central points. Do you think it show. was an advantage that, so you weren't with the show in the beginning, you came on around season season two, two. Yeah. Middle of season two. Do you think that was an advantage or a disadvantage or can you tell us about that? Yeah. I think in a way, um, in a way I got lucky because I was able to swoop in once the show sort of had its sea legs and kind of knew what it was. Mm. Um, I think it's really hard at the beginning of a show. And I deal with this on some of my other series, um, when you're starting off at the beginning of a show, you know, nobody knows what's going to work. Like now at this point, it's easy in season six to look back and say, oh, everyone knows what, you know, what, what makes the show work. But early in season one, you know, there are always discussions between the network and the production company of like, do we do, you know, more walk and talks where the guys are sort of talking in between challenges and like, oh, yeah. you know, how many challenges do we want per episode? Like, do we, you know, and, and once that stuff had sort of been established by season two, it was a little bit easier, I think, for me to come in, to swoop in and sort of take it while it was already on the treadmill. I love those walk and talks. Me too. I kind of miss them sometimes. I kind of miss them. You know, it's tough because, you know, they take away from the challenges. That's sort of a big thing. It's, you know, the challenges are so good. That's like really where we get our big laughs is, you know, and it's what the show is. You know, if they're at like a shoe store or if they're in the supermarket, like playing those games or those challenges, that's the meat of the show. So to put in something of them walking and talking actually takes a little bit away from from that. Oh, for sure. And now it would be almost impossible for the four of them to walk down the street and us get any kind of usable audio. Yeah. It would just be a lot of people yelling, Larry, and hey, mustache, as they like walk down. He's I remember a, when we yeah. would do that, the comments would be like, are you guys always just walking around with cameras? <laughs> it's like, yeah. so funny. But I, I, I kind of like it. I think it was important to have that early on and establish who they are and a little bit more as friends and stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, I think so too. I feel like that that has sort of moved to behind the scenes at this point, this sort yeah. of banter. And it feels, I think, you know, the walk and talks at this point would start to feel a little bit scripted again because it's, you know, there are only so many times the guys could take a walk around the block. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, there are times that I'll, every once in a while I'll watch an old episode or like inside jokes and I'll, I'll see it pop up and I'll kind of miss it. Yeah. 
It is so funny. I, I can't believe that they're so good at like finding jokes within conversation. But that, I mean, they're they're just so good. It always seems like such a it's a conversation that just turns to a punchline. Yep. Um, so, in your opinion, what makes a successful and practical jokers episode? What are the ingredients? You're a chef now. You're not <laughs> just a table builder. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's. I think so often, you know, there are different kinds of challenges that we that we do on the show now. Some are mo- a little more. Um, interactive with the general public and some are a little bit more performance based where mm-hmm. the guys are, um, you know, are maybe playing off of each other in front of a group of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, well, I mean, it's, it's not that, uh, it's certainly not a bad challenge if there's less interaction with, with the general public, but I do, to me, I think that the, the bread and butter of the show is interacting with people. So I do think that an episode that has a lot of that is, yeah. is going to be good. Well, let me, let me rephrase it then. Yeah. Like, let's, let's say like, um, <laughs> What would you like to see more of? I think that's that that makes more sense. Like, what are some challenges or it's types of challenges, you know, that you'd like to see more of going, I guess, going forward at the show? I mean, I, I always feel like, and this is just personally speaking, because I, I, I will say that I think right now the balance is great. Like, yeah. I think the balance is really, really solid, especially 150 episodes in or however many we're in at this point. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. And, um, you know, there's a great balance of like new crazy games and super simple, you know, um, bits in the park where we're talking to people there, there's a great balance right now. Um, to me, a challenge that I love, and I just saw it was, it was in inside jokes. It was actually mentioned that I love this one was, um, is the one, it's such a simple one, but when they're in, in, I think they're in fairway and the game is you look like the kind of person. Yeah. Yep. And I remember watching that and thinking like, wow, there's just something so simple and great about this. And it was, it was just, you know, them striking up a conversation and then in the middle of the conversation with a, with, with a mark, with a, a regular person in the, in the supermarket saying, you know, you look like the kind of person that, and then the guys had to, then the other guys right. telling them in their ear what. To- uh, one of the more memorable lines from that, I think was Q saying to a lady, or maybe it was Joe, but I think it was mm-hmm. Q, uh, you look like the type of person that would throw a bar mitzvah for a Gentile. Yes. And the woman responded, I actually did that. Yeah. <laughs> it's those magic moments, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, and right. But it, there was something about that challenge that was just, it was so simple. You're sort of putting the, the, again, the mark, meaning the person that they're talking to, yeah. you're sort of putting the mark just on, like on the defensive. Cause suddenly they're like, wait, why, why do you think that I look like this kind of person? Right. And then mm-hmm. that makes the Joker feel uncomfortable to me. Discomfort is the bread and butter of the show. Yes. It is yeah. just like, it's the, the, one of the biggest notes I give on episodes is when the guys just look a little too comfortable when there's something that, mm. that, you know, that it feels like they're, it's just coming a little bit too easily for them. You know, my, my favorite punishment I think of all time yeah. is bingo. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. you know, when Sal is, you know, at the casino and, um, has to keep standing up and yelling bingo, even though he doesn't have bingo and all the, all the ladies with blue hair freak out. Mm-hmm. And like, we've had much bigger production value punishments, but that there was something about that, just watching him sweat that makes you so uncomfortable and to me, I would take that any day over the, the the ones that maybe cost more money, had a bigger production value. I think when they're uncomfortable, that is when the show's at its best. Yeah, I agree. I, it, like even recently, Q with the uh, putting the X's over the things like that, he really didn't want to do that. And that was that that Ooh. skirts the line where it's a little mean. Yeah. No, that just reminded me of something. I, I had a question for Simi about that. Great. Because yeah. that was actually a challenge. That wasn't supposed to be a punishment. No, no, that was like right at the end of the challenge. Yeah. yeah. So how do you feel on a day? So basically the way things work is like, the guys will pitch ideas for challenges and punishments to you. 
And so you'll, you know, it'll be a, a normal day. You think they're filming this mommy and me art class. And uh, then you get a phone call from maybe Pete McPartland afterwards. It's like, hey, Simi, uh, turned into a punishment today. Yeah. How does that feel when you get that phone call? So at, it's happened only a few times. It happened right. when, when Murr's tooth fell out. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it happened. Uh, there have been only a couple times where there's a challenge that suddenly... Yeah, it happened on, for this episode. On the, the spot. Uh, the oh, senior sorry, tech the senior guy. Exactly, right, yeah, right, exactly. with Murr's dad. So the truth is, at first, it made me nervous. At this point, I actually love getting that call because mm-hmm. every time it's happened, it's turned into a really good punishment. Um, <laughs> it's worked out really... I remember the first time it happened, Joe Gatto called me with, it, with a tooth and was like, this just happened. Like, we, you know, we really want to make this a punishment. It made me nervous because I'm like, well, we haven't, we haven't vetted this. We haven't looked at it. We haven't thought about it. We haven't... Usually for punishments, we go back and forth with with you guys or with the, with the jokers, and this one was really on the fly. But I have to say that because they've gone so well, now I get excited. Like they're batting a thousand, so I, I actually love getting that call. Of yeah. those punishments, I think that one's kind of like my favorite. Oh, it's so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's, it's in, in the best way. And the other funny thing is, I actually pulled up, but I pulled up your note on that when we pitched you that challenge, mm-hmm. and uh, for mommy and me art class, and your note was. Yes, but don't make it too mean. <laughs> and then you get a phone call later that's, like, hey, yeah. by the way, we it's did the meanest thing mean. possible. <laughs> yeah, totally. That was one of those things. It was because, again, talking about how discomfort is the name of the game. Yeah. Because keep, the, like, the reason why that works in terms of being sort of quote unquote mean is because Q wants to die as he's doing it. And, like, <laughs> that's, the, and that's what makes it feel yeah. not mean is because Q doesn't really want to be doing this to them. He's being, you know, he is the puppet being controlled by the three puppeteers behind the scenes. And... Um, the fact that he's so uncomfortable doing it. And of course, then, then at the end of the punishment, the fact that ultimately the episode shows the reveal to the class, which is something that's very unusual. I don't know if you've yeah. ever done that before. Yeah. You know, also took some of the sting out of it feeling mean. I will say in season one, I, I used to use that too much as a crutch when I'd be working with the guys. Where I, If I were like, well, what if you did this to the, to the person on the floor? And I remember like Sal and the guys being like, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, but it might be too mean. And uh, I would be like, yeah, but it's you guys telling them to do it. And they were like, yeah, we know. It would make us look mean. Right. Not only the person on the floor, it would make the guys feeding it seem too mean. Like, So there is a line. You can't completely get away with, oh, they told me to say it. You know, because yep. like, even if they're like, you know, that's just, that's, you're just misdirect. I mean, that's like directed then towards the other three guys. So yeah. you can't push it so far. And that even happens sometimes with the guys where they, they'll say something to whoever the joker on the floor is, who, whose turn it is, hoping that they'll not say it, so they lose, and right. so they lo- end up getting punished, and they'll say that line that they think is too mean, and the guy that made him said it just feels horrible, yeah, because yeah. he's it's, like, oh no, right? It, the puppet master feels this. bad. Yeah. I've created exactly. a monster. Yeah. <laughs> Mur, Mur, in some ways, does things like like that, where you're like, he wasn't supposed to say it, but that's part of the whole thing. Like you're leaving yourself open when it's Mur. But then I also love moments when Gatto's like, uh, when they, you know, they throw the water in the face, like for that. Mm-hmm. But when Gatto's like, uh, I'll give you $100 to rub your hand through his chest hair. Like yeah. in that, that's not the gameplay, right? That's, yeah, right? that's just them being friends, having this like side bet to the game. He doesn't have to do it. It's not a refuse you lose kind of challenge. They're just like still playing like, hey, if you put your hand in there, I know it's not part of it. I'll give you a hundred dollars. And then Murr does it. Joe comes onto the floor, gives him the a hundred dollars. Yeah. It's I great. mean, and it's just that that moment's great. He cause he looks at the guy, he's like disgusted with <laughs> everyone in the scene. Yeah. And amazing. he lost a hundred bucks. Yeah, those mo- I mean, there, there's so many magic moments in the show like that. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of which, you got to throw water in Q's face. Yes. In uh at Spencer's, right? I did. Yes, I did. 
And what was, do you remember what you said? Uh, I said, um, I've been waiting four years to do this. Right, right. Yes, that was <laughs> so fun, good. which is true. I have been waiting for you. Uh, it was, it was, yeah, that was really fun. That, that came about totally randomly. Like I was, I was on the shoot. I, you know, I, I don't go to every shoot, but I was at that shoot. And, um, you know, the, the challenge was, you know, the, the Joker would be talking to a Mark at Spencer's mm-hmm. and then an actor, actress would walk in the door and with a cup of water and splash water in their face and then would, would give, a, you know, would say something like, how dare you? And then mm-hmm. the Joker would have to explain why that happened. And so Q was on the floor uh, d- doing, his, doing his bit and, um, and they said to me, you know, why don't you go with a cup of water? We'll surprise him. And so, that, so I did that and, and definitely took him by surprise. It was a fun little moment. I love the surprise guests. The surprise guest is one of my favorite things. And that happened in Senior Tech IFB. We had a family member. Yep. Um, I know that you can't pick a favorite Joker because, mm-hmm. you know, you can't no, do that. No, certainly not. Can you pick a favorite family member that has been used on Impractical Jokers? Ooh, I don't that, think anyone's feelings would get hurt. That's a really good question. Um, I mean, Sal's sister has has given us so much mileage on this show. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, that wedding was really amazing. It One of the just, best punishments. Yeah. yeah, yeah very it was, fun. It was, it was, that, that was a high production value punishment that worked really well. Um, you know, yeah, so I would say, I would say that jumps to mind. Um, and, uh, and I also, and Sal's dad also just, you know, coming in sometimes at the end of a punishment, just expressing his disappointment with Sal mm. is such a great little yeah. moment that we've, uh, we've, we've called back to a couple of times. I know Sal's dad has been, uh, Sal's family has been used a lot, but don't forget like the first family member to be used, I believe was Q's dad in White Castle mm. and then Q's parents in the birds and the bees. Oh, of course. Yeah. I, yeah. But not really since. Yeah. <laughs> I would have to, yeah. Now that you mentioned the birds and the bees, that might be the best one. I mean, to have, to have one. him sitting there doing that in front of his parents was, was pretty amazing. That was the first punishment, like with the, with like a big family switcheroo. Yeah. Where, you know, he thought it was going to be, that's also a bad punishment. If you had to give a birds and bees to like a bunch of teenagers, that's embarrassing. But then once they switch it out, that was such a, I remember, I remember like being on set or, or, like being around in those days where we were almost full steam ahead with it being a classroom of, of kids. And then I think Gatto or probably Gatto had the idea of like, wait a second, what if we switch it out? We even like had a monitor so that like he could see that it was like kids. And then they were like, all right, go in the hallway. And then it was, I mean, it was a really full production to just to, confused Q. Yeah, this, the the punishment switcheroo is always a is always a great thing. You know, I mean, obviously there's the well, you know, the, those twists. Right. But but when it's but when you know when there's such a so much time and energy put into um, the con of it all, it's just so great. Like uh, probably my second favorite punishment is uh, Danica McKellar, and yep. you know that one. The fact that Murr genuinely thought that he was going to be going to a, a weightlifting competition, it, you know that. Just all the all the time and energy put into that just makes it so much fun. And we have more twists than M Night Shyamalan. I'm telling you. Oh yeah, you know we got and, and a better success rate. I'd say. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Um, everyone loves Split. The Jokers love Split. I Fun know. Jokers fact: they can't get enough they love of that split? Movie. split. Yeah. Oh, was that an M Night Shyamalan movie? Most yeah. recent one. They oh, love it. Okay. I'm I'll, not the biggest I'll, fan, I'll but I, no, I didn't like it either. You don't have to go into it. We're, so not, I, we're not Split. A game I'd like to play now is. Um, Approve or disapprove? Because oh. that is that is something that you'll that you'll do often. Yes, on the show. I mean, you'll I mostly approve, but uh-huh. occasionally you have to step in and be like, no. And so I'm going to ask you some things, and you, you can either approve and disapprove. If you want to throw a little why, that's sure. great. Okay. And the, and these are challenge ideas or punishment ideas or or they're, just they're totally ideas. general Joker general, yeah. things. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to approve or disapprove with your hosts Casey Jose and James McCarthy. 
Our contestant is Mr. Simi Kostanowicz. Casey, take it away. First up, you got Joe's Bijan Frisés. Okay? Approve or disapprove? Oh, it's that kind of game. Um, <laughs> I, it doesn't have to be just Joe's. Yeah. It could be a Bijan Frisé. Uh, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say approve. It's approve. Sort of, it's, any any notes? Uh, yeah, <laughs> they, it, it's it just sort of goes with Joe's personality. There's something about the Bijan Frise that just uh, that just makes sense. I'm gonna go with approve. All right, Murs bow ties. I'm gonna disapprove those. <laughs> yes, hmm. I uh, it's just there's something super super weird about that. Especially, I mean, the, the guy you know walked the high wire wearing it. I thought that was an odd choice. I mean, although the the dress shoes on the high wire was that the, the whole outfit. Uh, you know, I, I, I would disapprove of. Yeah, it gets in the way sometimes. Yeah, I, I would say in a lot of it, it's something, about the, and I don't know, I think, got the sense that he thought it was going to take off, like this was going to be like the Rachel during the, the, during the Friends years. Yeah. And it did not take off like Jennifer Aniston's It was haircut. more of the Felicity. It was yeah, the- <laughs> exactly, exactly. It had that kind of reaction. But yeah, it's, it seems like he never wears just a normal one too. It's always like some sort of weird polka dot or made of wood. Exactly. It's like, yeah, just I mean, go with the, the classic. Bo- the bow tie is is enough of a statement. I don't think you need the <laughs> the, the wooden uh, statement on top of that. Speaking of looks, Q's new look. I would say definitely approve. Mm-hmm. I think Q looks great. I every time I've been watching Cut lately, I just think. I mean, unfortunately, he kind of loses the whole homeless thing that that I think you know, know that that people had really come to know him as, but. I think he. I think he really looks good with the short hair and I, I, I handsome. Lost handsome, a few right? pounds too. Strong. Lost a few pounds. Strapping young Agile. man. It it throughout, the se- throughout the season, he shrinks. <laughs> <It's> like, yes, <laughs> he really shrinks. does. The beginning of next season, he's gonna like. He's gonna look like Mur. Yeah, he's <laughs> Benjamin Buttoning right now. Um, all right, Sal's t-shirts. You know, can I can I put like a an incomplete on that one? Sure. I, yeah, I have yeah. to say, Tell like those maybe. I yeah, because I I don't. I feel like it's filled with inside jokes that a lot of the fans are probably aware of that I am not aware of. Right? It's 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 different people's names, and I I don't know what's happening in those t-shirts. So right, there's some t-shirts that I don't even understand. Sometimes we have to blur his t-shirts. Right. There was one time we had to blur his t-shirt for an entire challenge, I think, or punishment. Yes, and as a behind the scenes, it said, "I love my redneck boyfriend," and then. It was Confederate flags, mm-hmm. and so I was like, "What are you doing?" And <laughs> yeah. he was like, "Well, it's ironic." Yeah, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that red is ironic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, all right, the Wu Tang Clan. Uh, I'll approve. Approve. Yeah. Do you listen to Wu Tang? I haven't in a long time. I used to a little bit. Yeah. I was actually into hip hop a little bit um, a, a ways back. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'd, I'd approve Wu Tang. Okay, we'll have more with Simi right after this. Welcome back to the official Impractical Jokers podcast. I'm Casey Jost, along with James McCarthy, and today we're talking to Impractical Jokers executive producer, Simi Kostanowicz. Welcome, Simi. Thanks for having me. And you came in season two. Did you think that we'd be going into, we're going to be filming our seventh season coming up? I really didn't. I mean, I, I thought I thought it was great. I thought it was going to last a long time, but this is a really long time, yeah. and, and the show's doing really well. You know, the, the, from the network perspective, I could say you know, the, the ratings have been really solid. Like people, a lot of people watch the show. A lot of people know the show. Um, the, the feedback we get from the fans on social media is, is by and large, really, really, really positive. Um, so no, I mean, it's, it's, uh, I, I did not think that we would be this far, you know, when we did the hundredth episode, 
I remember joking at the event, um, you know, ah, oh, well, you know, next thing you know, we're going to be at our number 200 episode and it's not so far off in the distance, nope. you know? Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it's, it's been great. And I heard you recently m- mention this, that you're, you're still seeing episodes where you're like, this might be the best episode that we've ever done. I really am. There's, there, we, there was a, a challenge. Uh, there was an episode that aired recently, uh, and I was watching it on TV and thinking, man, this might be one of my favorite, my, my top five favorite challenges. It was the, uh, it was the meditation uh, classes oh, yeah. when they were doing, you know, when Joe was sticking his stomach out and Murr was barricading the door and Q, you know, and they're sitting there and the, the song started playing, which yeah. was that yours? Was yeah, that one of yours? That. I mean, that one. And, <laughs> song is killer. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, I'm watching it. I'm like, oh, oh, well, my favorite moment in the whole thing is when Joe starts giving the weather. I mean, yeah. <laughs> when, when he's like, you know, imagine there's a cool breeze and they're like, and now it's six, you know, 65 degrees, chance of rain tomorrow. Now back, now back to Carl and sports. It was so weird. And I just, I was crying. Um, and like, I, that's an example. It just, this popped in my head, but one of my favorite things about the show. And I think one of the things that makes it so magical is the fact that there's, there's this one, two punch that you don't get on other shows where you, where you get two opportunities to laugh at almost every moment because first comes when the jokers tell the joker on the floor to, to make the joke. And that's the first laugh. Mm-hmm. So you, cause you're anticipating what it's going to be like when he actually has to say it. And then the second part is when he actually says it and you see the reaction. So it's almost this like lightning and thunder effect where like first comes the lightning and then you hear the thunder a couple seconds later and it, it makes every joke twice as funny. It's real situational comedy. You know, yeah. you never be in a room and it's like, this is so funny. How could we ever, how could we ever bottle this? Sure. You know, how could we ever u- use this? And that's what this show is. It's just these friends that are like, ma- like one upping each other and on camera in, in settings where you're not supposed to be doing these kind of things. And that's like, a, you know, there's something so intimate about meditation or, you know, even just like a massage place or like. There's, there's these different scenarios that we could get into that no other comedy show can can ever do. Absolutely. And then the more the more intimate, I, I always love like a one-on-one. And we've tried to make our focus groups actually have less people yep. mm-hmm. and more just, you know, I remember Sal being like, can we get a table that's smaller? <laughs> like, just so that like, I'm like almost face-to-face with this person. And that's like a thing that we've been trying to do. Yeah, to make it more tense for them on the floor too. Yeah. Especially as they get used to embarrassing themselves day after day they want to like really Up connect state. with people like uh, uh, close proximity for sure one, uh, one another one of my favorites recently was the uh was the the like the psycho the psychoanalysis one i don't know how we, we we got away with that but it was when the, when the guys were doing rorschach tests with oh, on these one-on-one um yep. uh, like uh evaluations and the moment where sal says to the guy okay now uh we're just going to imagine each other being tortured <laughs> and they just quietly stared at each other, and it was it was it was it was just TV gold. Our team is so good at getting locations that I never thought we could ever do. Mm-hmm. We wanted to, in season one or two, we wanted to get a doctor's office. We were just like the stakes are so high, but that's so hard to get. And we were like, well, let's try dentist. And so that dentist challenge was the first one that we got that was like a medical thing where a doctor was like, you can mess with my patients. And that's insane. And we also got a podiatrist later on. But the dentist one, I remember being like, this is the fun, like to that time was the funniest challenge. When the chair goes upside down. And Sal loses and, it. And Sal's just like losing it. He has to leave the room and go in. And then there were the four of them were watching the monitor of this guy just sort of react like by himself for a second. He's just crying. He just can't keep it. That to me, that was, I was there and it was the, one of the biggest moments in the show's history where I was just like, oh, it needs to be as intimate and the stakes need to get higher and higher as we go. Completely. And yeah, I mean, speaking of, you know, just being amazed that they'll let you get away with this stuff, like the Novocaine punishment, I can't believe that yeah. a doctor was willing to do that. Same doctor. 
It was the same, same doctor. Same dentist. Right, well, yeah. that doctor's not behind bars. Our cricket dentist, <laughs> Doctor yeah. Sullivan. Oh, that was Doctor Sullivan. Yeah, oh, Doctor Sullivan, DDS. Great uh, dentist, I'm sure. Great dentist. We call him our crooked dentist because yeah. he lets us do these things. Yeah, but he think, is a legit good dentist. I think everyone calls him the crooked dentist now. <laughs> but funny story. My wife uh, went to a podiatrist uh, in New Jersey about a year ago, and she 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 just somebody had recommended the podiatrist. She walks in, she's in the waiting room. She sees pictures of the Joker's all over the wall. She's like, oh, are you guys just fans of the show? And they said, no, we, we, they, they shot something here. It was at that office, oh, which is random. Oh, wow. Yeah. As always, we have Danny Green sitting in quietly, um, stalking us, staring oh, at Danny's us. Danny's here? And uh, Danny always has a good question. Danny, what's your question? Uh, Simi, do you remember the first time you met with the Jokers? I do. Well, what's interesting, I don't, know if, I don't think I've ever told the story. So I was a freelance producer. This is before I was at True TV. And I was a showrunner working on various different shows. And I was taking meetings with different production companies. And so some, so my agent uh, at the time recommended that I meet with North-South Productions. So I met with this guy, James Murray, who was a development executive at North-South to talk about a different uh, different show that ultimately didn't, didn't happen. But while we were there, I asked him, what other kind of stuff are you doing? He goes, oh, well, we actually have this new comedy show, this pilot that we're doing for True TV. Do you want to take a look at it? And I said, sure. And so I went into, um, into Charlie Debevoy's office, Charlie, who runs North-South Productions. And I sat there with James, with Murr, and, and with Charlie... And they showed it. I remember it said Mission Uncomfortable, which was the original name of, of Impractical Jokers. And I remember he popped up on screen and I turned to him and I said, oh, you're in this. And he said, yeah, it's, it's me and my buddies, you know, from high school. But I was, so I remember meeting James then. And then, you know, I went off and did other things, not for True TV. And I remember I saw, you know, I started seeing uh, billboards about the show. I was like, oh, I guess that, that show took off. And then I, my wife and I started watching it and we loved it. So that was the, that was actually my introduction to Jokers. And then once I came to the network, I think the show had been on the air for a few months. At that point, I was a fan. So I, I was a little starstruck when I met the guy. I, I knew James. I knew Murr. But, you know, meeting Joe and Q and Sal, I felt like I was meeting a star of one of my favorite shows. How much do you love seeing Murr in that wig right now? Oh, my God. It's so insane. I mean, I remember he texted me a picture of it when, when it first happened. And it was just so much better than I could have ever dreamed. I, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was it's incredible that our show can do that. The mm-hmm. fact that we're allowed to completely change a person's look or just punish someone throughout an entire season, it, it just could only exist on this show. And, it's, and it could only exist in season six. Like, it's the yeah. kind of thing, you know, you, it's a risky thing to, to take one of the stars of a, of a hit show and change their appearance for half of a season. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when you get this far into the show, I think we've built up enough, um, uh, you know, <laughs> capital with the viewers that they'll, they'll, they'll go for it. Yeah, do that's you, the chance the other three Jokers were willing to take. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it wasn't them. Make Murder do it. Do you have to answer to, like, people or, or do you have to get any approvals or explain that to anyone higher than you here at True? Uh, for something like that, yes. I mean, generally speaking, um, for, what was that like? Yeah, that was <laughs> that was a tough conversation because, again, like I said, you know, look, you have a network mm-hmm. that uh, that relies very heavily on the show. It's it's a it's a very big show for us, and um, we want it on the air for a long time. Obviously, as everyone wants it to be on the air, and again, yeah. So so you know, talking to uh, to my bosses about you know, hey, we're going to take one of the stars of the show and change the way they look. You know, people have come to recognize, and, and two of them, really, because you're shaving Q's head as right. well. So so half of the cast, we are changing their appearance. Um, it was something, at, at certain points, it was discussed as possibly the entire season happening at the beginning of the season and going out all 26 episodes. I think that just felt like maybe a bridge too far. Uh, <laughs> so it felt like, it felt like you know, uh, a half a season was, was the right amount of time. It was, so it was definitely a back and forth. But again, the network trusts you guys entrust the guys so much at this point that there's a lot of 
um, like I was saying with the uh, the challenges that become punishments, there's a lot more benefit of the doubt that we give you you guys and give the show now than we would have in season two because the show has has done right by us and by the fans so many times. So, a name was dropped in a, a challenge not too long ago, and I'm not. It sounds familiar. I'm not really sure what the origins are, but it was Simi can't stand your bits. Yes, and I have to say that it seems very very close to your name, Simi Kastanowitz. Oh, that is very astute. Yeah. Do you think that was a, a shot fired at you? I think that might have been intentional. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was that was totally unexpected. I have to say, I um, yeah, it was a challenge where the guys were uh, playing receptionists in a waiting room, and they were calling out names of who was going next to the people in the room, and the names were ridiculous, and they weren't allowed to to laugh. Can you set the scene of like where you were when you were watching it? Like, because you you probably watched like a rough cut, right? Yes, I watched. So I was in my office with my with my team with uh, with with Tina and Emma who um, who work on the show. Shout out to Tina and Emma. That's right. And we're watching the episode. And I, by the way, because that was the second or third turn in that challenge mm-hmm. when Joe said it, I was already in tears. I mean, that really. I, I don't know if I've ever laughed harder than I have in that challenge again, but not, not, this is not in a, in a self-obsessed way. That was before <laughs> they came out with my name. I just, there's something about them saying those names just kills me. So good. Well, yeah. um, so then when all of a sudden one of the names was Simi can't stand your bits, I was very taken aback, but I, I thought it was great. My kids love that. I have friends who still call me can't stand your bits. That's great. Uh, that's great. Um, yeah. I, I could not stop laughing just throughout that challenge. It was great. But yes, yeah, so I felt very honored to have my name twice because then and the next time we did it, it was uh, Simi Can't Stand Your Bits Jr. So that was, uh, that was meant a lot. And none of your daughters are named that, right? Uh, no, but if, I, if, if we ever have our fourth kid, which we will not, um, <laughs> then, then yeah, name, I'd consider, consider g- giving them a different last name, which would be yeah. a little strange. <laughs> but another, th- another thing about the name challenge is, um, you know, so often the guys are improvising you know, the majority of the show and then coming up with stuff for the show themselves. That is one challenge that I will say that they do defer to the producers because they want to be so surprised with the names. Yeah. They don't, they want to be complete. They don't want to look through names. They don't even want to like write names Mm -hmm. like that many, like they'll they'll, like Sal writes them all the time. He's got a notepad in his phone with names. He's out somewhere randomly like if he's out like in a movie and he just has an idea he'll pull his phone out and he will write down the name oh yeah i'll so, get a text from q every now and then that's just a list of names yeah no explanation just a list of fake names and like understood but the day of they don't want to read names or like think of names or write names for the other guys because they want to go in fresh because it's just more real they're they're always like trying to be as authentic as possible. Yeah. So they don't want to have a bunch of fake names in their head so that when they see those names, they're like over it or they've, they're they used yeah. to some other ones or they're like, well, the right. ones I wrote are crazy. Same thing with that log lines challenge, which I loved. Oh yeah. With uh, chilling with Mr. Broadway. Yeah. Log oh, lines. That's another yeah. one. Right. You can't fake Sal saying Tammy bundle balls for the first time. <laughs> you know, there's just certain names that just sound so funny. And, and if they had rehearsed them or they had seen them before, you wouldn't have gotten that genuine reaction. It's great. It's great. Well, that's all the time we have. I want to thank our guest, Simi Kostanowicz, or Kistan- Can't Stand Your Bits. Simi. Thank you. Thanks for having thank me, you guys. So much. That was fun. So enlightening. It's always, it's always great to talk to you. I'm glad that we had a full session that we could really hash things out. Loved it, guys. I'm happy to come back anytime. That was fun. That's great. And make sure, if you're listening, to subscribe to the podcast so you can get it right away. Thank you for listening. James, anything else? Follow Simi on Twitter. Your yeah. Twitter is really funny. Thank I like you. It, a lot. What it is, is it? very funny. Yeah. What, so what's your handle again? Uh, I'm at Simi K. S-I-M-M-Y-K-A-Y. Uh, so at Simi K. That's great. Well, thanks again. Thank you. And as long as we're on Twitter, I am at Casey Jost. And I'm MC James McCarthy. Mick James McCarthy. So you're like almost like one of those fake names. Double Irish. Yeah. Yeah. Mick James McCarthy. 
Mick Bulge. All right, thanks, guys. Love you. 